The book of Nehemiah tonight, at the end of the service, I'll have a couple announcements I want to make. But if you've been keeping up with the theme in Sunday school, and by the way, I trust you'll go by uh, and get a devotion. Our staff has really worked hard on this. And I mean, I read what Brother Barry wrote last week. Brother Barry, you're our writer, man, and you just don't know it. That was awesome. And all of our guys are doing well in it. But I love these themes and the theme this week is building the walls. When you build a home, you've got to build the walls. And to me, the greatest example of wall building uh, is not Trump and it's not the Democrats and Republicans arguing about building the wall. But it's in the book of Nehemiah where God's people had been captive in the land of Babylon for a long time. They lost their shout. They lost their temple. They lost everything. And God had been working behind the scene. And that was a young man that had been carried to Babylon as a slave, a little Hebrew boy by the name of Nehemiah. God had been working in Nehemiah's heart. And one day he heard about the destruction of his homeland he had heard what Satan and the enemies of God had done to the city of Jerusalem, how the temple was laying in ruins, the walls were laying in shambles, and the gates were burned with fire. And something stirred in Nehemiah. And he went before the king and said, Listen, can I take some choice men back to Jerusalem and build back our temple and build back our walls? Boy, there's a verse of Scripture in the Bible that blows me away. It says the heart of the king is in the hand of God. It's amazing to me how wicked and ungodly some people have been through the years, but God could sovereignly override their will. And what they meant for evil, God meant it for good. And God sent Nehemiah back. In fact, he sent Nehemiah and Ezra back. He sent Nehemiah back to build the walls and Ezra back to build the temple. And boy, this is a great, great portion of God's word. Now, think about the walls that were built around Jerusalem. They were known for the great wall that they had built. Now, there was one purpose for those walls, and it was simply for protection. They built the wall around the city to protect them from the enemy. And for some reason, Israel, God's Old Testament people, always had enemies. Brother Cato, I've been trying to figure that out for the 44 years I've been a preaching. Israel never bothered anybody that didn't bother them. They never went in war against anybody that didn't bother them. Just a little old, just a little old strapping of a nation. You can cover it up on the globe with a half of a pinky. And I've tried to figure out through the years why they had so many enemies. And it had to be because they were God's nation. They're the ones that gave the world God's law. And uh, they proclaimed the name of the Lord and they stood against idolatry. And I, I don't believe it was the nation that the world hated. I believe it was the God of the nation. And, and let me apply that tonight to the church. Why would the world hate the church? Why, this building ain't bothering anybody. I'm not bothering anybody. I'm like you. I don't mess with nobody. Don't mess with me first. 
In fact, I don't even mess with people that mess with me first. I ignore them because I don't want <clears throat> to smell like smoke. But what, what about the church? Why would the world hate the church? Why would the government hate the church? Why would the church have so many foes within and without? Well, it's not this building they hate. It's not our ecclesiastical movement they hate. It's not our uh, physical financial structure they hate. It's God. It's the truth. It's the word of God. Because our God and truth and the Bible flies in the face of this worldly philosophy. And let me scratch one itch in passing. I do not understand how any preacher, let me back up, how any person who claims to be a preacher could support the things that the religious leaders in Metro Atlanta support. It's a shame and a disgrace. And you say, who are you going to vote for? I can tell you who I ain't voting for. I ain't voting for no preacher who says abortion is okay. In this world, nor the world to come. This message is approved by Brother Jawatha, paid for by the tithes and offerings of Harvest Baptist Tabernacle. But I'm just appalled. I'm appalled. But the church has enemies. And the devil is on the attack. And Brother Shane mentioned something this morning about the principle of first mention. When you see something for the first time in the Bible, and he dealt today with the first mention of music or a song in the Bible. Well, think about the first time you see the devil on the attack. Think about the first time you see Satan attacking humanity. Well, you got to go back to Genesis 3. The first book of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden. And what was Satan attacking in that garden? And by the way, he's still doing it today. Number one, he's attacking the Word of God. Because you remember how the devil is quoting Scripture to Eve, but he's taking it out of context. Hath not God said, God did say, God did say, God didn't say. He's attacking the Word of God. Brother, I'm telling you, we're living in a society when this precious old book is being attacked like never before. But I want to go on record tonight and say the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. I'm for what this Bible's for and I'm against what this Bible is against. Let God be truth and every man a liar. The devil's attacking the word of God. What is he attacking in that garden of Eden? He is attacking Adam and Eve, the first home. He's attacking not only the word of God, but he's attacking the institution of the family. The very first family, the devil unleashes an attack upon it. One of the very first children born in that family becomes a murderer. And I want to tell you, the devil is still not only attacking the word of God. Brother, he is attacking the family like never before. And I don't know tonight of a family that's trying to serve God that ain't got a bucket full of something. 
issues, troubles, trials, whether they come financially, emotionally, spiritually, or whatever, financially, some, the devil is attacking the family. Because the devil knows, so goes the family, so goes the local church, and so goes the local church, so goes the nation. Our nation and our churches are made up of families. And if the devil can wreak havoc in families, he's wreaked havoc in the church, and he's wreaked havoc in the nation. Now, he's not only attacking the Word of God, he's not only attacking the family, now, what I'm about to say, please don't open up a can of worms because I don't feel like being here to midnight fighting you about it. But what does the Word of God, now listen, what does the Word of, what does the Word of God call the wife in that family? He calls her the weaker vessel. Now, that does not mean that man is smarter than her. No, I've met some men dumber than a box of rocks and some of y'all married one. Girls, you missed it. Paige couldn't say amen, but she sneezed on that point. Landon, I think that's Greek for preach on, my brother. And it doesn't mean that, uh, in fact, Larry Brown told me this before he died. said one day he'd come in, and there was a couple sitting in his office, and they was crying. And Larry said, or Larry, downtown Larry Brown, said, uh, what's wrong? And that boy spoke up and said, spousal abuse. Brother Brown said, I stood up and drew my fist back. He said, I was going to clean that office up for that boy. He said, there's something wrong with a man that'll put his hands on a woman. By the way, he's right about that. And he said, boy, you've been hitting that girl. She spoke up and said, no, preacher, I've been whooping him. Well, only like Larry Brown could do, he just laughed at them. He got to laughing at them. They got to laughing at him. They got to laughing at one another. And they laughed their way to victory. But it just simply says the woman is the weaker vessel in that link. Now, that's not to cut down women at all. What, what it's saying is that women are not as strong as men most of the time, okay? That's why we have girls' sports. That's why we have men's sports. That's why this world is set up that way. And by the way, fellows, that's good. Because it's set up that way because, you know, she needs you. You're there to help her and love her and protect her. And let me say to you unmarried men, if you want to get married, to have somebody to beat on and be ugly to, don't get married. Just go spit at yourself in the mirror or something. Because God's going to hold you accountable the way you treat your spouse, your wife. You women liking this message so far? But it, but it's, he called her the weaker vessel. So therefore, when you see Satan attacking the word of God, he's not attacking the family, but he is attacking the weaker vessel. Now let's bring that to our day. What is the devil doing in your life and mine? He's attacking the Bible. He's attacking our families. And what is he doing? He will attack the weak spots in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. Now, don't look at me like that because we all have weaknesses. You say, what are yours? I'd have told you before the internet 
But now because of internet, I'll not tell you because the whole world will know it soon. My daddy used to preach on gossip. And he'd say, if you want something told, tell a phone and tell a woman. Can you imagine with the internet like it is? So I'm just simply saying, we all got weaknesses. There are things that bother you that don't bother me a bit. And there are things that might would bother me that it wouldn't even bother you at all. There may be somebody in this room tonight, you struggle with smoking. And I'm just going to tell you, that don't bother me at all. That's never been a temptation of mine. But you know what? There's other areas in my life that we ain't going to talk about. But we all have weaknesses. And that's the very place Satan will set up workshop and work overtime. I'll be honest with you. One of my weaknesses is a lack of faith. I hate to admit that in front of people who love me, but sometimes my faith is weak. I, I'm, I get my nerves to whoop about stuff. And I think I overreact because I know so many people that don't care. They don't care about their family. They don't care about the ministry. They don't care about their church. They have a no-care attitude, and I believe that scares me to the other side that, man, I get tore up about things. I want, I want my relationship with my wife to be right. I want my relationship to my family to be right. I want the fellowship of this congregation right. I want this atmosphere conducive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Man, this is not a social gathering. This is not a country club. This is an old-fashioned church house where we depend on the power of the Holy Ghost to work in our lives. But we all have weak places. And so those walls in Jerusalem were there for protection. Protection from the forces that were without that would come upon them and destroy their land. Well, I believe I've laid that as a president tonight that we are living in days of attack. And brother, I believe the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, it's not going to get less, it's going to get more and increased. The devil wants your mind, he wants your heart, he wants your soul, he wants your family, he wants your marriage, he wants your church, he wants your life. And so therefore we must do like Israel of old did. They built walls to protect them from the enemy. And we as God's people need to be erecting and building some spiritual walls that will protect us from the onslaughts of the devil. And I got to thinking about the different walls in our life that we need to build around our family, around our marriage, around our heart, our mind, our church, our ministries. Man, we need the wall of faith, do we not? How we need to build a wall of faith around our lives. How we need to build a wall of prayer. Oh my. How we need to build a wall of prayer that Satan can't get through and climb and, and scheme upon the people of God. 
We need the wall of prayer. We need the wall of faith. We need the wall of love. We need the wall of mercy. We need the wall of grace. We need to protect ourselves, shield ourselves. I believe some of the Sunday school teachers taught this morning on the whole armor of God. Putting on that whole armor of God. That is our spiritual wall. That is our spiritual protection. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the loins of truth, and the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith, which is the Word of God. And I believe we need to build them walls around our lives, around our mind, around our heart, around our families. And I believe the greatest example of wall building in the Bible has got to be the book of Nehemiah. Before God ever told them to build the temple back, which was very important, God said, let's put these walls back. Because we've got to keep the enemy away so you can enjoy the temple and the worship of God. And so as I began to read through this little book of Nehemiah, I saw some things that would help you and I, to encourage you and I to build these walls in our hearts and our minds and our families. These walls of faith, these walls of prayer, these walls of mercy, and these walls of love that we need to protect us from the enemy. Three things in the book of Nehemiah that aided them in their wall building. Number one, listen to this. That was a heart of love. That was a heart of love. You say, whose heart was it? Well, look what he said in chapter number two of Nehemiah. In verse number 12, he said, God hath put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. He said, what I am doing, God put it in my heart. God gave me a burden for this. God gave me a desire for this. God gave me a hunger for this. And I'm just doing what God hath put in my heart heart. He is serving God from his heart. He is building this wall from his heart. He is protecting his nation and his family. He's got his heart into the work. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to do much till you put your heart into it. God has burdened his heart. God has touched his heart. God has spoken to his heart. He has heard the need. He has seen the need. He has surveyed the land. And he's burdened and he's weeping and he's concerned. And God has stirred in Nehemiah's heart. And somebody said, well, all you're going to do. Well, he said in chapter 2, verse 18, I'm going to do what God has put in my heart. And you, you know what we need to do tonight, don't you? We need to put our hearts into this thing. We need to serve the Lord with all of our heart. Daddies, you need to love your family with all of your heart. Husbands, you need to love your wives with all of your heart. Harvest people, we need to love our church and the ministry that God has graciously bestowed upon us. And we need to love it and support it with all of our heart. 
And I need to approach this pulpit with all of my heart. Every time I get up to preach, I need to do it with all of my heart. Let's put our hearts into it tonight. Let's put our souls into it tonight. Let's pour our everything into it tonight. Because there are some things that are worthy of our heart. There are some things that are worthy of our all. There are some things worthy of our best. And I don't know anything tonight any more worthy of my everything than my wife and my family and the church and the ministry and the calling and my God and my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's worthy of our best tonight. His burden has driven him to a commitment. His heart is so into this work. I love this. He's going to stay with it till he finishes the task. Well, just like there were enemies from without that would destroy his nation, sad to say, there were enemies from within. The book of Nehemiah names them Sanballat and Tobiah. I I give them a nickname, Sandbag and Towhead. Because all they want to do is nap and run their mouth and gossip and knit and pick and try to destroy somebody else. And let me just help you with this tonight. Nobody has ever been called of the Holy Spirit to have the ministry of tearing people down. You don't get that from God. You get that from another spirit, and it ain't the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah not only has to build that wall and worry about the enemy from without, but he's all the time having to watch his back for sandbag and towhead coming up. And every time they try to pick a fight with him, you need to say, I'm not going to stop building my wall to fiddle with you. I got a wall to build. I got a family to protect. I got a nation that needs my best. I want to give my all to God. You, you, you just deal with that trivial stuff all you want to, but I've got a job to do. I've got a task to do. And in spite of the friction, in spite of the opposition. In fact, one day, one of them went up to Nehemiah and said, you think you're good at this? He said, well, I don't think I'm good at it, but I do want to be faithful at it. And old Sandbag said, why, you know, that wall you're building, a little old fox can knock your wall down. Well, all a fox has got to do is get on your wall and knock it down. And you know what Nehemiah done? He just kept building the wall. He just kept building the wall because his heart was in it. He knew the wall of protection needed to be there. He knew the wall of faith needed to be there. He knew the wall of power needed to be there. And ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you tonight. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Read the Bible with all your heart. Go to church with all your heart. Love your family with all your heart. Protect your wife and your husband with all your heart. Put your heart in it. He's worthy of it. And in spite of the opposition, in spite of the criticism, and in spite of the pressure from within and from without, there are some things worth scrapping over. He's got a heart of love. And that heart of love and passion is beating in his heart. And he is going to finish the task. In spite of the discouragements, in spite of the setbacks, he's focused on one thing. 
doing what God put in my heart. There's a little song we used to sing way back many, many years ago about an unfinished task. And it's about a man that realizes one day we'll all stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. And he goes on to say in his song, Lord, I don't want to leave behind an unfinished task. How many believe tonight that Jesus Christ is our example in everything? Well, twice in his earthly ministry, he used the word finished. In that high priestly prayer of John 17, it said, Father, I have finished the things that thou hast given me to do. And that wonderful text in John chapter 19 when he cried in the midst of Calvary's cross, it is finished. And then Paul comes along and says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. And I want to say this tonight. God's been too good to all of us. God's been too good to all of us for us to stop and retreat and turn back and not finish. Let's serve him with our hearts tonight. Let's give with our hearts tonight. Let's sing with our hearts tonight. Let's love our families with our hearts tonight. Let's build our church with our hearts tonight. Let's give God everything. He gave everything when he went to Calvary and he's worthy of our best. Somebody said to me, you act like you're trying to put your, put your best foot forward. I ain't acting. I want to give God my best. Put my heart into it. So you have a heart of love. Secondly, you not only have the heart of love, but you have the hand or the help of the laborer. Notice a verse in chapter number 2 tonight. And notice the last part of verse number 18. I love this. The last part of verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You know what Nehemiah realized? He couldn't do it by himself. But if this man would do his part and that man would do their part and that person would do their part and that one would do their part, it may seem small in itself, but when you got all the parts coming together, wow, it helped them to build the walls. Ezra can't build the temple by himself. Nehemiah can't build the walls by himself. But when they strengthen their hands together, when everybody put their heart and their hand in it, and this one did its part, and that one did its part, and that one did its part, God put it all together, and together they built the wall. Together they love the Lord. Together they serve the Lord. We can't do it by ourselves. We have to have the help of the people of God. And what I love about it is that's why God gave us the family of God. That we work together for the glory of God. I've often people, I've often heard people use this and make light of it in a joke, but in really that's true. They'll say, you know what the definition of fellowship is, don't you? It's two fellas in the same ship. And they say that in a joking manner, but you think about that. That is exactly what fellowship is. It's two men in the same ship, rowing in the same direction, headed for the same destiny. Everybody in the church has a place. Everybody in your family has a place. And we need to do like Gideon's army, find that place and 
stand and serve and love the Lord together. Boy, I see Nehemiah as he's getting those men together. Some's going to mix the mortar. Some's going to lift the stones. Some are going to set the stones. Some are going to get out the plumb line. Some are going to dig the trenches. Some are going to draw the plans. Some are going to serve. Some are going to supervise. Some are going to give the orders. But when it's all said and done, they're working together. They are working together. I've heard people say, well, Brother Joe, my tithes is just so small. The church won't miss it. Let me tell you something. If your tithes, honestly, 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 if your tithes on your income, if you don't make but $10 a week, and honestly, your tithes is $1, if you are giving your part, and I am giving my part, and everybody is giving their part, Your dollar, my dollar, or somebody's hundred, or somebody's thousand, or somebody's ten thousand, or somebody's five thousand, or somebody's fifty, or somebody's seventy-five. Brother, when you get the one, and the ten, and the twenty, and the hundred, and the thousand, man, it's not long that the church can keep the lights on, and keep the doors open, and have missions all over the world, and buy and function as we need it. You say, but my tithe is only twenty dollars. Yeah, but if it's that real tithe and it's true and you're not just making it up and that's what it is, you give it in Jesus' name. You put it in that plate in the name of the Lord and God will take your 20 and he'll take a 10 and he'll take a 50 and he'll take a 100 and there'll be a church that'll be raised for the glory of God because we're in this thing together. I've literally had people say this to me through the years. Brother Joe, I know you're under a load. I know our staff is under a load. Oh, Brother Joe, what can we do to help you? Ooh, I'm glad you asked. The greatest thing you can do is come to church. I'd help a lot. And give. And pray. Worship God. I mean, worship God on your way to church so you'll have a spell when you get to church. How, how many remember maybe your, well, I wouldn't say your wife because we've got a bunch of modern women now, but maybe your mother or your grandmother during the summer canning. Canning. How would I say that in Mexicano language? Putting it up for another day. Boy, they'd have that pressure cooker. Anybody ever seen a pressure cooker? Man, that thing, you get the shaking on the inside and you think it's going to explode. About that time, that little pop off. See, that's what happened in here this morning. We were singing, worthy is the lamb. See, we've been thinking that all week. We've been praying to him all week. We've been working for him all week. And finally this morning, just got so much in the pressure cooker. Some of us had to let off our pop off. Woo! I've heard people tell me, Brother Joe, while you're up there preaching, I'm just sitting here listening. Man, I want to help you. But I'm not called to preach, and I can't get up there and stand beside of you. But Brother Joe, when you're up there preaching, and you're fighting spiritual warfare, and you're trying to find direction God's a-going, and you're trying to bring your thoughts together, oh, Brother Joe, what can I do to help you while you're preaching? I'll tell you what you can do. Sit in that seat and silently say, Bless him, Lord. Oh, God. 
God, touch him, Jesus. Holy Ghost, breathe upon him. Oh, God, help the preacher. Give him unction. Give him power. And when you look around and somebody seems to be under conviction, whisper some more prayers. God, keep it up. God, pour on the power. Pour on the pressure. Let me tell you something, brother. Brother Tom has his place. All the men have their place. And the ladies have their place. But we're all members of the same church. And we're all members of the same spiritual family. God put us here together. God ordained it together. God anoints it together. And it's amazing what can be done with a little group of people on top of a hill that are work together for the glory of God. Oh God have mercy. They strengthen their hands together. Let me tell you what that means. One man went up to Nehemiah and said, what can I do? And another said, what can I do? And another said, what can I do? And another said, what can I do? And as they all did their part together, they finished the task in less than 60 days. They did the impossible because they were working together for the glory of God. I guess Brother Richard, since Harold Miller's going to be with the Lord, he was our in-house contractor for years. If I had something about building, I'd talk to Brother Miller. So now, Richard, you're the old man I want to talk to about that. Brother Richard could explain this better than me, but on a construction crew, everybody don't do framing. Everybody don't do plumbing. Everybody don't do electrical work. Everybody don't do roofing. And I'm sure you got some that sit around and nobody does nothing. I'm sure of that too. But everyone has their place. I want to tell you this tonight for you folks that sing in the choir. If you realize what an awesome responsibility you have every Sunday morning and Sunday night in that choir. You know what God is using you to do? To pave the way for the preaching of the word of God. When you saddle up in that choir and you saddle up to one of them songs and you start saying, you know what you're literally doing? You're taking a plow and you're going before me or whoever's preaching. And boy, didn't Brother Shane do a wonderful job today. And, 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 and you, you, you're going like a plow and you're softening that hard and you're breaking up that fallow ground. And boy, while that ground's fertile and them eyes are moist and them hearts are tender, the man of God comes by and sows the eternal seed of the word of God. Hey, hey, your job is precious. God's put you there. You say, but preacher, I don't do anything but just sit in the pew. Well, you can do more than just sit in the pew. You can get a hold of God and intercede with God in prayer because one day something we can't do good without the singing but we can't do good at all without the praying and the worshiping of the Lord we're in this thing together have you ever noticed how many times the word together is in the Bible Joe it says we love together we worship together we pray together we stand together we fight together we witness together we dwell together Hey, and one day, sweet Jesus is coming, baby, and we'll leave this world, and we're going home together, and we'll live together forever. So I see a heart of love, and then I see the help of the laborers. But I'll look one more time here in two verses. And we have not only the heart of love, the hand of the laborer, but the help of the laborers, but I love this one. And this is the one that's most important. Mm. 
They had the hand of the Lord. They had the hand of the Lord. You know what blesses me? When they threw their hand in, God said, I'm throwing mine. Oh, Lord have mercy. When they threw their heart in it, God said, here comes mine. When they threw in their best, God threw in his best. When they threw in their hand, God said, I'll put mine on that one. And that's what really made the difference. Look at these two verses tonight. Look at what it says in the last part of verse number 8. The last part of verse number 8 of chapter number 2. And the king, and the, and the king granted me according, said with me, church, to the good hand of my God upon me. Then notice the first part of verse 18 in chapter number 2. Same chapter, 18th verse. Look at the first part. Then I told them, sit with me, church, of the hand of my God which was good upon me. Yeah, thank God for the heart of love and thank God for the help of the laborers. But ladies and gentlemen, all of that would have been in vain. But we've got the hand of the Lord. God combined said, here's my hand. Here's my heart. Here's my unction. Here's my anointing. Here's my enablement. Brother, God's blessings was upon them. And when it's all said and done, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One kisses us and helps us. I'm glad for the heart of love. I'm glad for the help of the laborers. But I'm really glad for the hand of the Lord. I don't have time to go verse by verse through Nehemiah, but there were several things about the Lord they had. They had the Lord's plan. God told them what to do and how to do it. They had God's provision. God provided what they needed to get her done. Why, what kind of God would he be if he told us what to do and didn't tell us how to do it? And then what kind of boss and Lord and master would he be to tell us to do it and not give us what we needed to do it with? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad our church not only enjoys the plan of God. Oh, this church knows what to do. We're not in the dark. We're not in the ignorant. And by the way, your family's not either. We have the light. We have the truth. We have the Bible. And let me say this about truth and light in the Bible. To whom much is given, much is required. We've got God's plan. We know what to do. But aren't you glad we have God's provision? God has provided for you and I everything we need to finish the task. They had God's plan. They had God's provision. They had God's power. They had God's enablement. They had God's ability. Twice in chapter 2, he said, the good hand of God was upon me. Have you ever wondered why he called it the good hand of God? Because anytime you talk about God, he's good. And have Have you ever noticed this? The Bible just doesn't say God does good. The Bible said he is good. You say, what's this between God does good and God is good? Because God does different things. 
And God does it in different manners. But he is good. That means he's good on Monday and he's good on Tuesday and he's good on Wednesday. That means he is good every day of our life. The good hand of God. Boy, don't you want the good hand of God on your life? Don't you want the good hand of God on your family? Don't you want the good hand of God on your singing? I know this. I want the good hand of God on my preaching. I don't want to stand up here by myself. And I know Brother Shane and Brother Tom and Joe and Barry and Brother Harper. They don't want to stand up here by themselves either. But I'm glad we don't have to stand by ourselves. John, you don't walk in them prisons by yourself. I'm glad, hallelujah, there's an unseen hand of Holy Ghost, unction and power that enables the people of God. Lord, help me. They had God's plan, they had God's provision, and they had God's power. Are we okay so far? We still Baptist? I hope you can handle this one then. Because I preach in some places that would cough right here. They had God's praise. They had God's praise. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. You know, I've turned there, I quote it. Nehemiah 8, verse 10 is one of the most powerful verses in all the book of Nehemiah. Boy, woo! They were getting kind of tired. Or as we say in the South, poured, getting kind of weary. And Nehemiah said, you need a little more strength, don't you? You need just a little more power, don't you? And Nehemiah said at an old-fashioned prayer meeting, he said, boys, Nehemiah chapter number 8 verse 10, say it with me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that with me tonight. The joy of the Lord is their strength. They were wall builders, but they were not mad about it. They were given their all, but they were not mad about it. They had a purpose to do, but they were not mad about it. They're building the wall. They're fighting the enemy from without. They're following God's command. They're keeping God's command. They're giving it their all. And they are in... I'm about to jump around like old Shane did this morning. I looked over there and Shane was a jumping. I said, them steroids he's on must help him. Fat boy jumping tonight. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, they were not just working and sweating and fighting, but they were enjoying the trip. The joy of the Lord was their strength. Can I tell you something tonight? I'm glad we have the joy of the Lord. What kind of joy? The joy that our sins have been forgiven. The joy that our past has been erased. The joy that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The joy that we're going to see Jesus one day face to face. And I know there's battles. I know there's storms. I know there's opposition from within, from without. But Nehemiah said, keep building a wall, boy. Keep, keep, keep carving the stone, boys. Keep laying the mortar, boys. We got a good work. This is a good cause. We need it. Our families need it. Let's throw in. Let's give our best. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me say this tonight, in less than 60 days, they walked into a place with nothing but ruin. 
and they built those walls. And it wasn't long after that, though, Ezra comes in and says, all right, it's temple building time. Brother, when they got that temple built inside of them walls, one of the greatest revivals in the Bible broke out. They shouted. They worshiped God. The glory of the Lord came down. God moved in that place. God's name was restored. And I want to say this tonight. With a heart for God and with the help of the people of God, And with the touch of God upon our life, the task can be finished. The task can be finished. I've read my Bible through and through, both of them. And I don't find one place in the scripture where God ever rewards quitting, giving up, turning back, Well, over and over again in this book, God honors faithfulness. I can't raise Lazarus from the dead, but I can roll away the stone. I can't turn the water into wine, but I can fill the water up with the the pots. Fill the pots up with the water. I can't feed the 5,000 with two little fishes and five loaves of bread, but I can find a lad that can do it. Amen. I can't kill the giant, but I can go find me some stones. There's something we can do for God. And we need to work while it's day, for night cometh when no man can work. Thank God for a heart of love. Let's put a heart into it tonight. Thank God for the help of the laborers. Let's encourage one another tonight. Thank God for the hand of the Lord. There'll never be a substitute for the sovereign God of heaven laying his hand upon your life and enabling you to do what he's called us to do. Them old timers use that phrase a lot. Hand of God's on that man. Hand of God's on that church. Hand of God's on them singers. Hand of God's on that ministry. What did them old timers mean when they said, well, the hand of God's on that? What they were saying is, It's not them and them alone. It's them with God's touch and God's unction and God's blessing. As I believe he told us in chapter 15 of John in the fifth verse, without me, you can do nothing. By the way tonight, I believe it's okay to pray for the hand of God. I believe it's okay to pray for the power of God and the strength of God and the enablement of God in our lives. Many, many years ago, I was about 14 years old. We was at the hunting club. My daddy didn't teach me how to play golf, Jackie. He was real spiritual, you know. But we was at the hunting club, and uh, we was building dog lots. And, man, I was, I had, if you, you've never lived until you've had post-hole diggers. And you're trying to get a hole dug to put a post. Anybody here ever fooled around with a post-hole digger? I'm going to tell you what that is. That's child abuse. Man, I'm over there. And finally, I just I just threw mine down. I said, I ain't got it. Daddy walked over there and he said, you ain't asked me. But I'm going to show you how to get this done. 
He showed me. And it wasn't long when all them holes dug. And my daddy said, son, I'd have helped you. I'd have helped you. But you didn't ask me to. I said, you mean I've got blisters on both of my hands that I didn't have to get? He said, yep. He said, I'd have helped you. Well, I believe there are so many times God looks down at us and says, you ain't got to blister yourself like that. You don't have to burn out. You don't have to give up. You'll just ask me. I'll help you. I'm going to tell you what made the difference in Nehemiah's little army there. The hand of the Lord. God touched him. And it made the difference. Let's stand tonight. Do you have a heart for God? You're putting your heart in it tonight.